Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. We are back with our horror movies. We took a little break there. Uh, we are now into the, what would you say, like animals gone wild, like uh, the mother nature striking back kind of genre? Uh, the animal too big conundrum. Yeah. Because, well, there was, a, there was a small run of these movies in the 70s because of Jaws. Uh, there was like Grizzly and then Orca, Tentacles, you know, anything, that, uh, Day of the Animals. I think there was even one called uh, Night of the Lepus about giant fucking rabbits I, and frogs. There's frogs. And, you know, we also have uh, Zombievers, Piranha, you know, there's, there's plenty of them. Yeah, oh yeah, we did have Piranha in the 70s. That's probably the best of those uh, Jaws spin-off, rip-off thingies. Um, but then, like, just like the disaster movie, you know, 70s nostalgia was kicking in in the mid-90s, and so we got both genres back. And I think, for the most part, they were all very financially successful, and because of that, we ended up with 20 years of fucking low-rent, goddamn garbage, sci-fi channel, directed video horseshit. <laughs> Yeah, some of them do take off, like Sharknado, which I'm not really a fan of, but, I mean, that is a kind of a huge series. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like six of them. It's, it became one of those intentionally bad, but then they kept getting crazier and crazier, and I think that's what people appreciated about it. There was, so after these handful of movies that we're going to discuss, it seems like they all started getting relegated to, you know, cable and straight-to-video, but they were serious. But I think somewhere along the way, like, well, like the Roger Corman, the pterodactyl versus sharktopus, or whatever the fuck it was. Um, you know, they started combining all these animals, and then it just, well, let's not just combine animals, let's combine it with nature. So there's lava lantula and shit like that. <laughs> Dark side, or shark side of the moon, or apparently a shark survives on the moon. I don't understand. Um, yeah, and then there's, uh, yeah, I, I think it kind of continues that, like, with these. Uh, sort of revivals they it, it is a little tongue-in-cheek definitely in some of them um but then when you get to like uh sharknado piranha 3d it gets a lot more cartoony yeah it was just full camp with it i mean there's still a few here and there that pop up i really like what was it the shallows the one where she's stuck on the rock with the sharks um oh um crawl was really was good a, the alligator one is really good, yeah. 28 meters down, was that it? I haven't seen that one. Is that good? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, uh, but it does seem oh, like... yeah, and then there's, like, they have open water, and uh, it kind of... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of movies that like that. Yeah, but and... and I the, think we're talking more, like, monster-y type. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the ones that are more grounded in reality, I enjoy, but there is some fun to the ones that try to ride that line. I think the biggest, the one that's been lately, is the Meg, where they that's try. What I'm to say, yeah. yeah, the Meg is probably the perfect boiling down of everything that works for both styles of monster movies. Yeah, and so it all basically kicks off with Anaconda, and my Anaconda don't want none of this podcast ain't no. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's it's so funny because this movie was a massive hit. And it wasn't very expensive, and it's one of those that not only was it big in theaters, big internationally, big on video, big on TV. I mean, people still talk about this one fucking movie, <laughs> and I think it's because of the campy performances. And the can you fucking believe this cast? Like right before they all broke out. I know that's what I was gonna say. It's it's strange. It's like the collection of some of the most mid actors, mid to terrible actors, yeah. all in one place. It's very strange. 
And I'm trying to think, before this, it was supposed to be John Voight's big comeback era. He did Heat, and there's a couple others in there. We're like, oh, John Voight's back after, you know, like a decade away. And then just followed it up with the most ridiculous horse shit. Yeah. What was his accent again? I could not place it. Oh, he did he say he was Peruvian or something like that? Peruvian, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's not how Peruvians talk. They don't even look like you. What are you talking about? I expected a story out of him like, oh, yes, my parents died in the jungle, and I was you know, I, I, I was raised here by villagers or something. No, he's just like, I'm a fucking Peruvian. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very strange decision. I don't know if that was just something he came up with and they decided to just go with it, or if that was planned and they thought, you know who looks really Peruvian? John Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to convince someone of the yeah fuck it. Um, now I, I thought this was like the beginning of his crazy performance era uh, because he started off. I think Midnight Cowboy was his first big thing, and in, in, through the seventies he basically did serious political thrillers and and stuff like that. But in eighty five he does do a really great movie that got Oscar nominated, probably the best movie that Canon Pictures ever made, and it's called Runaway Train. And holy shit, his performance is off the wall fucking bonkers. And then he's got Eric Roberts with him on that train. And both are trying to outdo each other with the most ridiculous performances in this really good action movie. (laughs) I think it's also worth saying that he is the most entertaining thing in Anaconda as well. Oh, holy shit. So I think you and I joked about, or were talking about this once, but there was a joke um, between my sister and I that we still do to this day. And she didn't see Anaconda, but she asked me how it was. And so I tried to explain it to her. And then when it came to that moment where Ice Cube says, Man, stokes, steaks don't eat people. And then <laughs> John Voight in my head didn't go, Oh, they don't, and just points to a scar. <laughs> it went, Oh, they don't. And then over the years, we would just walk up to each other and just do that. But it get more and more exaggerated. Oh, they don't. <laughs> And then I watched it again after all these years. I was like, oh, man, that's not even close to what we thought. (laughs) We would do this at Thanksgiving, and my grandmother looked at my mother and goes, what is wrong with them? (laughs) This is a weird thing, too. So he says, no, they don't, and shows a scar, but, like, they didn't. It's, it can bite you, sure. It's not going to eat you. That doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't know. Like, well, I suppose we should just start from the beginning, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I'm trying to remember. So this is the one. Okay, so um, Eric Robert, not Eric Robert, sorry. Eric Stoltz and his crew are going on like a filming exposition for like, you know, a Discovery Channel kind of thing, right? Yes. Okay. And then it's just slowly they realize the guy that they hired to uh, basically guide them through is full of shit. And he's just a con artist and a psychopath, and his only goal is to capture an anaconda. Not kill an anaconda, capture an anaconda, and he's basically just using these people as bait as they get picked off one by one. Uh, actually, no, the, the, you got that wrong. The, the guy that is taking them down there, I think, is working with the John Voight character um, to like pick him up partway through. Uh, and the John, John Voight is the one that's kind of using the crew as a means to get the Anaconda. Oh, no, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I, I was trying to say that, but I think somewhere along the way I mis- 
construed what I was yeah, trying to Yeah, you get. were trying to simplify it because really that guy served no purpose to the story. Well, that's the funniest part because at the time this came out, the biggest name in it was Eric Stoltz. And to take him out of this, you know, 20 minutes into it, was kind of an interesting twist. It seems like that was a big thing during this era. You know, like Scream and Deep Blue Sea and stuff like that. The guy who you think is going to be the lead, you're going to yank out of it real quick. Yeah. And uh, then it becomes Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube are the leads, and then you have everybody else. You had, um, uh, there's Luke Wilson, no, not Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, um, and just like a bunch of those, you know those kind of faces. Like, you know them from somewhere or whatever, those character actors. And it's kind of fun watching them, even though most of them are truly god-awful and their motives are fucking stupid. <laughs> like these, I mean, that's the, that's the entertainment of, of yeah. the movie, is like... It's really, you know, just a one-location flick. It's just everyone on the boat, the whole movie. Yeah. And, yeah, just kind of watching them trying to act is very funny. The, um... It's kind of like a Jason movie, where everybody in it is basically stupid, and you're just waiting to see how they get killed. It's not as creative as the Jason movies, because really, how much can an anaconda really do? Um... And I gotta tell you, some of the special effects, the digital effects, holy shit, they look bad. And I know it's 1997, but still, they're tempting stuff they should not have attempted. They should have stuck more to the physical effects, which I thought were pretty good. Yes. And, and, and in other words, not physical, it's practical effects, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do want to jump forward to, you know, spoilers, John Boyd got killed, right? You sort of. <laughs> Is he technically dead? I know he got sucked I... up. <laughs> and spit strange. out. He got like he got like spit out, right? And yeah. Like dissolved, or was he on, or was he burned? I can't remember. No, he wasn't any of those things. Because I think in my head I confused. Do you remember the moment in Deep Rising when he gets sucked up and then spit back out and he's all like acidic, his flesh is yeah. all rotted, whatever? I confused it too. Basically, he ends up getting gutted, the the snake or whatever, and um. Uh, John Voight falls out, and he kind of just winks and then falls to the ground. I swear he gets back up after that, and they fight some more. I don't remember. I See, the problem is, is I watched Anaconda 2 immediately after this, and some of it kind of gelled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just don't think it's that good of a movie. Yes, it has better performances. Um, but it, it's, like, I think the second movie is better, but none of the performances are memorable. Like, you just... It, Nothing really stood out and said, yeah, this is fucking crazy, but it's at least entertaining. Yeah, I think part two has a better story. It's definitely something that's more interesting and makes a lot more sense as to why they would go through this, you know, dangerous adventure. Because there, there's a, a, a huge payoff if it succeeds, so that yeah. makes more sense. Like, John Voight, it would make so much more sense for his character to just get, like, a baby anaconda and just grow it. Yeah, okay. Well, isn't, isn't that a thing at the end of the movie is when they find a whole bunch of eggs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, no, that might have been the second one. I mean, it was, okay. Uh, so, the director of this, Luis Loza, it's really interesting if you look at his filmography. He does, like, three or four movies for Roger Corman, and he's kind of building his skills through those low-budget movies. And then he has his first American movie, which is a, a minor hit, but it's had like 12 sequels called Sniper. Um, oh, yeah. And then he does The Specialist with uh, Stallone and Sharon Stone, which was a huge hit. Then does this. That's it. He's alive. <laughs> I thought maybe he died, and that's why he stopped. He didn't produce anything else. He didn't write anything else. It's very bizarre. He's like, Anaconda, I've completed my masterpiece. I'm out. <laughs> 
Can you imagine that he probably sat there watching the dailies, but looking at it like the way Francis Ford Coppola looks at his films? Ah, yes. A perfect <laughs> Every ending. frame of painting. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do not need a director's cut. I have it all. <laughs> Was there studio interference? No, they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> there was nothing writing on the line. <laughs> paid me with a bottle of whiskey and you know what it was worth it yeah it's just so funny because you know i remember the first two movies doing fairly well at the box office but then after that they were just like yeah we're going straight to video but it wasn't even like a, a minor step down it was like being on this so you're on the top floor basically with the budget and the promotions from columbia pictures with the first movie you're going down to the second floor, and then for the sequels, it's like they just, they didn't even let you go downstairs. They kicked you out the fucking window, you <laughs> fell down into the, the parking garage, and then you got David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I almost want to watch it because I want to know if David Hasselhoff tries to go crazy like John Voight. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to be uh, kind of like a, the, the more modern type Piranha Sharknado silliness. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just curious. I don't know. What is crazier now, though? John Voight in real life or in this movie? Uh, yeah. Well, they're both crazy for different reasons, but yeah, I wouldn't want to hang out with either of them. It's interesting looking at the writers on this, Jim Cash and Jack Epps. If you saw them in the 80s, you'd think they were riding like this fucking freight train of success. Uh, Top Gun, Legal Eagles, The Secret of My Success, Turner and Hooch, and the Dick Tracy movie— and then there's a very long gap. And then Anaconda, and they're basically done. <laughs> like, Anaconda just Damn. killed their career. He's <laughs> like the definitive career killer. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're riding high, and nope, we're done with you. It wasn't that bad. I mean, no, well, it made a lot of money, too, so I'm kind of curious. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is you hear a lot of writers, like, they get paid for stuff that just never gets made. They can spend years. The guy who wrote Batman in 1989, he wrote and got huge paychecks for like the next 20 years. None of those movies got made. And then finally he got a Monkey Bone made, and then that was it. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's got to be the worst if you're a writer. To just yeah. like have all these great ideas that are like, nah, this doesn't sell, or there's nothing we can really do with this. There's not an audience. And then like you do finally get one, and it's shit. Yeah. Well, it. it's... He was the first guy to get hired to try to make Watchmen a movie. And it's like... Oh, yeah, that, did, that, that was one that... Uh, that one in Batman v Superman, that was another one that was in development hell for forever. Oh, yeah. Um, so the sequel, uh, like I said, the cast isn't anywhere nearly as memorable. They're just good, solid, you know, TV-level actors, basically. Yeah. And they do a, a competent job. I kind of like the guy, the, the tough guy with the gravel voice that's that's uh, steering the ship. Yeah. When, when um, oh, damn it, he's even in one of our other movies. Uh, Punisher. Uh, <laughs> who played the Punisher? The one with uh, John Travolta. Um, oh. Uh, er, Thomas Jane. Jane. Yeah. Thomas Jane, when he left the Punisher sequel, I really thought that Johnny Mesner would have been a good Punisher. And uh, only other person I really recognize in this is Morris Chestnut. And if you know Morris Chestnut, if you saw his filmography, it is one of those. He's one of those guys where it's not a very expensive movie. It was in theaters, but it made a really good profit. He did this like 15 times out of 20. Nobody knows who the fuck he is. He's not a household name, but he was almost always the first or second lead. It's bizarre how he's just not a name. Um, I think 
to go back to the the movie, I think what uh, the, the kind of the big difference in its presentation or its style is that like the the tough guy from the first Anaconda is the one that's kind of steering people into danger, whereas the sequel kind of tries to make a do a new twist on it where the guy that's sort of guiding them is also just kind of a pawn in this game where he's doing his job legitimately and it's, you know, the more corporate people that are kind of pushing them into danger. Right. It's, it's an interesting inversion on it. I like, this This shares something with Deep Blue Sea is finding, uh, in using, well, no, I guess that one, they are, they're doing experimentations to try to find a cure. And this one, they're looking for a very rare plant that can help with uh, disease and, I mean, th their mission is noble. How one of the guys goes about it, though, ain't so noble. <laughs> yeah. Part of it is his obsession with just trying to find it by any means necessary. But I, he makes a lot of really stupid mistakes and puts his team in danger just to get this fucking thing. And uh, Yeah, and he kind of he uses that to manipulate people of, like, what, the, what it can potentially do. And sort of use that as a way to manipulate people and to keep going. Yeah. Uh, when they realize very quickly, no, this is stupid. We need to go home. The and well, the funny thing is they want to go home, but it's it's so difficult to get there. Like in in the first Anaconda, I feel like there's a long time where they could just turn the fuck around. Whereas in this one, they want to leave, they can't leave. They're trapped. Yeah. Um, having the numerous anacondas is yes, I get it's an escalation, but I think it's an escalation that actually works. Like you. Their explanation is that the female anaconda is in heat and all the local male anacondas are coming to her in this one particular area. Uh, and I think, I think yes, as much as those guys were very successful writing those movies, I think the guys they brought onto this to really clean up the script, the guys who did Starship Troopers and Robocop, Total Recall, um, Mike Miner and Edward Newmar, um, I think they understood what worked about the first movie. But it's kind of funny that they didn't lean into more of the comedy, the, the the satire kind of stuff that they usually do. Yeah, which is interesting because the first Anaconda definitely has, I think, more comedic moments for sure. Yeah, I'm looking right. Yeah, it's just because you think about Robocop and Starship Troopers, it has so much satire, but it's basically ditched here. Uh, there are a few one-liners, but for the most part, this is a serious affair. And... I think a lot of it also is the director is different on this one. Dwight H. Little is kind of like one of those guys that knew how to handle action and horror. And for a while, he had a lot of success, but like on a lower level, like he did Marked for Death, Rapid Fire, uh, The Good Halloween Sequel, Halloween 4, stuff like that. Like So he had a good balance of both, and I think that he handles it well in this uh, because it does have a good mixture of action and horror. Yeah, I, the only the, the major drawback for me is that the uh, most of the actors are just kind of bland and boring. That yeah, kind of just it kind of just becomes unforgettable after a while. Yeah, it's or it, it becomes forgettable. Yeah, sorry. I was gonna say, wait a second. Um, yeah. Well, that is the catch is that the first one is so memorable because it's so outrageous and at times unintentionally bad. Are unintentionally hilarious, you know, and this one is tries its best to be like a legit theatrical film or whatever, not to be laughed at, but it is kind of like forgettable. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, but I I do admire that it's it is I think a better movie, 
the budget is smaller on this one, which is wild because usually that's not what happens when the first one is such a big hit. And I kind of wish the snakes looked better. Like, they still look a little janky, uh, considering it's yeah. seven years later. Yeah, that's great. But he was smarter in this one because they use rain and, and the leaves and, and shadowing or whatever to kind of cover some of that up. Whereas a lot of the effects in the first movie are just in your fucking face, bright light, no coverage whatsoever. Like the one where the guy jumps out of the waterfall and the snake comes around and wraps or whatever. Every time the snake wants to wrap around a person in the first movie, it, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, it's basically just like a whip, and that's not really how it works. Yeah, or how the bodies look. You're like, that's... Well, it clearly had a dude on a rope or whatever, and they're slowly turning him, and then CGI'd the snake around it later, and it doesn't meld. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen a snake actually wrap around somebody, it does not look like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I guess, yeah, of the two, just, if you're looking for some goofy fun, just watch the first movie. Yeah, I... That's the thing. It's really I do like the second one more in terms of story, but I just it it's it is a lot to ask because it is kind of boring. Yeah, I think the final action sequence is better though. I the first one is kind of like in a generic abandoned warehouse kind of thing, which I really don't like in a lot of movies because it's always such a cheap visual. Whereas this yeah. one, it, it I thought it was interesting. Like you know, she's trying to get across the log above the snake, of pit, uh, you know, the pit of snakes or whatever, and they try to use that in an interesting way, even though it's very limited in what they can do. I think he did the best job he could. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, that is it for this one. We come back with another uh, Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea. Everybody, thank you very much. <laughs>